I'm wrapping up the series, hooking up today with a thought that I want to talk to you about. Friends with benefits. Friends with benefits. Guy meets girl. He thinks she's hot. She thinks he's handsome. They develop a friendship and they become close friends. They start dating. They want to spend as much time as they can together and they're always on the phone. They're always going out on dates. They're always hanging out together and doing fun stuff and they fall in love. And so guy asks girl to marry him. Girl says, yes, I will. And they get married. They get married and, and man, they're working their jobs. They're pursuing their careers. They, they buy a house. They buy a car. They pay bills because they got to pay for the car now and they got to pay for the house and they're paying their, they're paying their bills and, and, and now they start to have kids and, and they're raising kids together and now they're full-time taxi drivers and, and they're driving their kids to school. They're picking them up from school. They're taking them to piano practice, taking them to ballet practice, taking them to the football game, to the basketball game, to the cheerleading camp, taking them to the basketball camp, taking them to all types of activities, birthday parties, friends parties, overnight trips, camping trips. And, 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 and the couple, as they're, as they're getting just a little older, kids are getting older, they, they're thinking about retirement and start and trying to invest in retirement. And, and their parents are getting older, so, so they start taking care of their aging parents and, and all of this is going on and they didn't mean for it to happen but they got so caught up in the rat race of life that they're no longer close friends they quit working on their marriage and they're not close friends now they're more like business partners living in the same house and the scenario i just painted for you happens to so many married couples. They don't mean for it to happen. They get so distracted by life and all that life brings and they quit working on their marriage and they drift apart as friends. If I was going to sum up this message with one sentence, this is it. This is the foundation of the message today. If you want a thriving, God-honoring marriage, one of the big, big keys is you must remain close friends. You must remain close friends. Friendship is so key to a thriving marriage. Let me just share a few statistics with you today. The Gallup Organization's director, Tom Rath, undertook a massive study on friendship and marriage alongside with several leading researchers. And here's what they discovered, that, that married people say friendship is more than five times as important as physical intimacy within marriage. Friendship is the silver lining in a marriage accounting for approximately 70% of overall marital satisfaction. Dr. John Gutman, he also did a research. He's an author and leading research scientist on marriage and family. And this is in their research what they discovered, that the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with romance, passion, and sex. Come on, somebody just woke up. I just saw a man wake up. Sex? My wife? Talk to me, preacher. Talk to me. I'm getting ready to. I'm getting ready to. 
The determining factor in whether wives will satisfy with romance, passion, and, and sex in their marriage is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. For men, the determining factor when it comes to romance, passion, sex, and the quality of it, 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 it depends on the quality, 70%, on the quality of the couple's friendship. In this area, it sure appears that men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. They're on the same page. Friendship matters in a thriving marriage. If you want a thriving marriage, if you want a God-honoring marriage, you must remain close friends. And let me tell you, all our married folks know this, and that takes work. It takes working on your friendship. It takes working on your marriage. A great marriage takes work. And when you decide that you're going to quit working on your marriage, you start working on your divorce. Because when you decide, I'm no longer going to invest in my marriage, I'm no longer going to work on my marriage, I'm no longer going to work on my friendship, you will start drifting apart and you are now starting to work on your divorce when you quit working on your marriage. And what I want to do the next few moments is I want to use the acronym, give you the acronym for the word friends. So I want to take the F, the R, the I, the E, the N, the D, and the S, and I want to give you a point on how to have a thriving friendship in your marriage relationship. Number one is this, the letter F, the letter F. And this, boy, this is foundational for a great marriage friendship, and that is forgive. Forgive. Listen, if you want to remain close friends with your spouse, you have to continually forgive. Listen, there are no perfect people, so therefore there are no perfect marriages. And when there was a perfect marriage, they messed it up anyways. What I want to do is I want to go back and look at the first marriage. Because here's what, here's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think this. Well, you know, nobody's going through what I'm going through. Nobody's experiencing the dysfunction that I'm, I'm experiencing. No, no, no. Every marriage deals with problems, and you have to be willing to forgive. Even the very first marriage, every marriage, including the first one, dealt with issues and problems. There are no perfect marriages. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9 says, But the Lord God said to the man, talking about Adam, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And they did. They, they, did. they disobeyed God. Verse 12 said, the man said, the woman you put here with me. I've read that several times this week and I just laughed. I mean, that response makes me laugh. Adam said, yeah, we ate from it. The woman. I don't even know her name right now. I don't know her name. The woman. I don't know her name. The woman. And God, you put, I didn't ask for that woman. You put her here. I didn't ask for that woman. You put her, the woman you put here. <laughs> that was your idea. It just made me laugh all week. The woman you put here with me, Adam said, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord, God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She said, the devil made me do it. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and started playing the blame game. And every marriage can relate to Adam and Eve. Because when problems arise in a marriage, oftentimes the couple starts to play the blame game. They start pointing fingers at one another. Well, it's your fault. We're going through this. It's... It's your fault. What we're experiencing right now, it's your fault. 
if you'd have paid the bills. It's, it's your fault if you wouldn't have lost the money. It's your fault if you wouldn't have lost your job. It's your fault. If you would have been nice to my family, we wouldn't be in this. It's, it's your fault. If you wouldn't have said that to me, it's your fault. If you wouldn't have done that, it's, it's your fault. We're having problems, blame game, and it's your fault. And Adam and Eve, they began to suffer major consequences because they disobeyed God. You see, before they sinned, they were living in a perfect earth. It was perfection. There was no sin. There was no jealousy, no pride, no envy. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no death. There were no earthquakes. There were no what we just experienced in our country this week. There were no tornadoes that devastated people's lives. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible says consequence, consequences begin to come into the earth. Sin and sickness and, and disease and earthquakes and tornadoes, it began to usher into the earth. They began to suffer consequences in their life and their family because they disobeyed the Lord. And friends, every marriage, every marriage suffers consequences because of bad decisions of one or both people in the marriage relationship. And there begins to be consequences. Some of you are dealing with some of the consequences maybe because of your spouse's bad decision and maybe you just lost the home. Maybe because your spouse made a decision and you just recently got your car repossessed. Maybe because your spouse made a bad decision, the kids are suffering and your spouse brought that on the family. Maybe you're hurting emotionally and you're dealing with a lot of pain and trauma in your life because of a decision that your spouse has made. And what do you do? What do you do when your spouse has made a decision and has called pain, has called consequences in your life and in your family? How do you respond to that? Because it happens to all of us. How do you respond when your spouse messes up and brings pain into your life? Do you forgive them? Or do you hold on to a grudge? And let unforgiveness erode away at your friendship and begin to destroy your marriage. You see, the key to a healthy and thriving marriage and friendship and marriage is you got to forgive. The Bible says it like this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. It says, bear with each other. How many of you know that's a good verse for, for marriages right there? Come on. Bear with each other. I mean, a lot of marriages bear with each other. We start nitpicking each other. We start, we start analyzing each other. We start pointing out all each other's faults. No, 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 no. Bear with each other. I'm glad Tiffany bears with me. I'm, I know she's glad that I bear with her. Listen, in a healthy, thriving marriage, you got to bear with each other. You can't keep nitpicking each other. Bear with each other. And notice this, and forgive whatever grievances. Everybody shout, whatever. I want you to catch that. Because in marriage, we try to isolate stuff. I'm not forgiving that. I'm not forgiving that. Oh, no, I can't believe you. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm not forgiving that. No, no, no. The Bible says, whatever, forgive whatever. We need that word in our marriages. Forgive whatever, whatever you've been holding on to the last couple of months, whatever you've been holding on the last couple of years. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You got to forgive. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, it says love, love. This is the agape love I talked to you about last week. This is unconditional love. 
Here's what unconditional love looks like. It kind of gives us a definition of unconditional love. Love is patient. Unconditional love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And unconditional love, it keeps no record of wrongs. See, when you have conditional love, I'll love you if you're always holding on to the past. But unconditional love, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep bringing up the past. You see, a lot of marriage problems don't occur because people are getting hysterical. They occur because people are getting historical. And they keep bringing up the past. And you have to learn to forgive because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect marriages. And you have to forgive as the Lord forgave you if you're going to have a great marriage and a thriving friendship that honors God. Number two is this, the R, the R, the R. We're looking at this acronym for friends. The R stands for real. You're going to have a great friendship and marriage. You've got to be real. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame i talked about this in week one in the very first marriage adam and eve before they sinned they were naked they had no secrets nothing was hidden and they felt no shame and i want you to see one more time the response what happened to their marriage right when sin entered in i want you to see because this happens in in, in every marriage man it's it, 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 it's been a struggle in marriages ever since adam and eve blew it Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They realized there were no private areas. They realized nothing was hidden. They realized, man, I'm about as, I'm about as real as I can be. I'm about as open as open gets. And the Bible says, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, their first knee-jerk reaction in their marriage was, I got to hide. I got to cover up. I'm way too exposed. I've been way too real. I've been way too vulnerable. And so many married couples are hiding behind fig leaves. And they're not real about their marriage. They're not real with one another. And they're hiding behind fig leaves. Hiding behind fig leaves. They're not real about their marriage. They're not real about their problems. You're just going to hide. You're just going to hide. They're not real about their intimacy, their, their sex life, they're not, real about, they're, not real, they're not real about what makes them happy. They're, they're not real about their feelings. They're not real about money. They're just, I'm going to hide behind fig leaves. They're, they're not real about the kids. They're just always hiding behind fig leaves. Friends, can I tell you, if you're going to have a friendship that's thriving and a marriage that's thriving, you know what you have to do? Just start peeling off the fig leaves. Been high, you got to start taking it off. Because I'm going to be real. From this day forward, I'm going to be real about our marriage. And I'm not talking about real with an attitude. I'm not talking about being mean or hateful. But I'm saying we've got to be real with one another. We've got to be naked and unashamed. Can I tell you, for many couples, it's been years in the making. All the fig leaves. Years of layers after layers after layers of fig leaves and hurts and covering it all up. And you will not take all the fig leaves off in one day. But today can be the starting point of getting your marriage whole and healthy. Say, I'm going to go home today. I'm going to start taking off the fig leaves. 
And maybe there's some deep issues that you've been dealing with and maybe you need a professional to help you and you need a Christian counselor that can help you talk through things, help you and your spouse talk through things. But you're going to start taking off the fig leaves and start being real because we'll never have a thriving friendship and marriage if we keep hiding behind the fig leaves and not being real with each other. There's a third thing that I want you to see, a third thing. We're talking about friends. Friends, this is key to a thriving marriage. You've got to remain close friends. The third point is this, the letter I is intimate, intimate. Question, have you allowed the blame game or the consequences that you face because of bad decisions or hiding behind fig leaves to destroy the intimacy in your marriage? It is easy. It is easy. For intimacy to begin to fade in a marriage relationship. And there are three categories that every married couple falls into when it comes to intimacy. Three categories. The first is a back-to-back marriage. This is when the couple, they operate their marriage back-to-back. And in a back-to-back marriage, two people live in the same house, but they live separate lives. You live your life, I live my life, I do my thing, you do your thing, you got your bills, I got my bills, we're just going to live. I mean, they live in the separate, live in the same house, but they live like business partners. And in marriage like this, a back-to-back marriage, this kind of marriage ranges from strangers all the way to enemies. Two people live in the same house and they're living like strangers. Two people live in the same house and they don't even like each other. Enemies. Hate each other. Matt, that's a back-to-back marriage. And then there's a second category when it comes to intimacy, and that is a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage, Mark Driscoll says, a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage. And this is, this is when a couple works together, and they're always working together to accomplish things. So they're working together to, to, to buy the house or to pay off the house or to buy the car. They're working together to raise the kids or maybe working together to build the business or they're working together to serve in the church or they're working together to help out with the baseball team. They're always working together, but their marriage relationship doesn't go any further than that. No, they don't go any further than just working together to accomplish stuff. And then there's the face-to-face marriage, the face-to-face marriage. And this is where God desires all of our marriages to be face-to-face. This is when the couple not only works shoulder-to-shoulder to accomplish things, but they're working face-to-face, and there's great conversation, and they're being real with one another, and they're taking the fig leaves off, and they're talking to one another, and they have great intimacy and romance and lovemaking great conversation. They have fun together. They laugh together. They hang out together. There's a face-to-face marriage. Here's the question. Here's the question. Here's the question I want to ask you now. Those watching online, here's the question. Which category does your marriage fall into? Now, you're in trouble if you say back-to-back and your spouse says face-to-face. Let me pray for you. But which category? Be honest. Be real. Which category does your marriage fall into? Back-to-back? Shoulder to shoulder or face to face. And God desires that our marriages would be face to face. We would be great friends, great intimacy, great lovemaking, great conversation, great fun. That we would be friends. Intimacy is key in a marriage relationship and and maintaining great friendship. Number four is this. Number four is the letter E. The letter E. And that is the word enjoy. Enjoy. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. 
Rejoice. I like that. Rejoice. That's, a, that's an exciting word. Rejo- enjoy. That, enjoy. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9 says, enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy life with your wife. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You see, great marriages, they have fun together. They enjoy one another. And some of our married couples today, it would do your marriage a world of good to start having fun together again, to enjoy one another. And I know what somebody's thinking. Well, he just ain't no fun. I don't want to hang out with him. He's no fun. She's no fun. She's, she's a fuddy dud. I don't want to hang out with her. I don't want to hang out. Let me, let me remind you. Y'all got married for some reason. There was at some point you enjoyed some things together. Some point you liked each other. At some point you were having fun together. And I'm simply saying, why don't you go back to those days and start enjoying one another again. Go on a date together. I don't know what we're going to talk about. It'll, it'll flow. Go get some chips and dip and just start talking. Come on, go for it. Go on, on a date. Go on a vacation together. Maybe leave the kids out. Go have fun together. Enjoy. Well, come on. Some of you need to laugh again. You haven't laughed in a long time. You just need to laugh together again. Enjoy one another. Come on. So listen, men, go, go do something that your wife enjoys. You don't have to enjoy it, but you want to enjoy each other. So maybe you go shopping with her. Maybe this afternoon, go on to the mall and shop with her. Now, now, shopping don't mean you sit on the bench out of the main corridor, you know. I'm shopping with you, baby. Go ahead. God bless you. Don't spend nothing now. Don't spend nothing, but go shopping. No, but maybe just walk with her. Spend some time. Hold her hand. Shop with her. Come on, do something she enjoys. Ladies, do something he enjoys. Spend time together. Maybe sitting around watching basketball or football. Maybe going hunting with him or going fishing with him. But spend time together enjoying one another. You see, great friendships are friendships that they enjoy one another. And marriage is a place where you need to enjoy and have fun together. It'll give you a thriving, healthy marriage. Number five is this. We're talking about friends, and we're on the letter N. The letter N is the word need it. Need it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the first marriage. This is when Adam was by himself. Eve had not yet been created. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He needs somebody. He needs a helpmate. He needs someone. God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. You see, Adam needed Eve, and Eve needed Adam. I said it last week, and I really believe it's worth repeating. I cannot be all that God wants me to be without Tiffany. And Tiffany cannot be all that God wants her to be without me. I need Tiffany. Tiffany needs me. Men, men, you need your wife. Wife. You need your husband. I'm going to do a quick exercise right now, audience participation. And I want everybody to participate who's married. And if you don't participate, if you're going to be honorary and don't participate, I'm going to pray you get diarrhea. So I'd participate if I was you. And man, I got powerful prayers. You have a long afternoon if you don't participate. So I participate. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's up to you. It's up to you. All right, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your spouse and just look them in the eyes and just let say this to them, I need you. Come on, just tell them, come on, say it. Say, I need you, I need you. Come on, look right back at your spouse and say, and I know you need me. Go ahead and tell them that that's right. I know, I know you need me. 
You know, you, know, you know what we have in our culture? There's this individualism. There's this I don't need nobody. There's this kind of renegade attitude. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'll do what I want to do. I don't need nobody. Yes, you do need somebody. Stop that. I don't need you. I'll make it without you. You go ahead and die. I'll make it without you. I don't need you. Go ahead and leave. No. Stop all that. You're never going to be without God. God wants you to be without her. She's never going to be all that God wants her to be without you. You need each other. And great friendships, you know. You're vulnerable. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. It's the foundation of a thriving friendship and marriage. We need each other. Number six is this. Number six is this. The letter D. The letter D is devoted. Devoted. I want to take you back to the word love again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this agape love, this unconditional love, the definition of love, unconditional love. Here it goes, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always, what a powerful, strong word. It always, agape love. Not this conditional love, I'll love you if. Unconditional love always protects. It's committed, it's devoted. It always trusts, always Hopes, notice this, always perseveres. I'm going to persevere. I'm committed. See, in a thriving, God-honoring marriage, the couple has unwavering devotion to one another. It takes commitment to have a thriving, great marriage. You got to be committed. You got to be devoted. You got to always persevere. You know something that you frequently hear in our society? You hear... A married couple say this, one of the spouses will say something like this. Well, I'm just, I'm just falling out of love with my spouse. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just falling out of love. I, I just don't have the feelings that I used to have. I, I just don't have those feelings anymore. Falling out of love. And you know what they're saying? People that believe that, here's what the people that believe that. Here, here's, here's the principle they live their life by. I just have to follow my heart. I just got to follow my heart. My heart says, I don't love you anymore. I'm just following my heart. I'm just following my, I, I might love him now because I, I don't love you. I'm following my heart. And, and please hear me. Please hear me. The Bible never tells us to follow our heart. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the Bible says, guard your heart. Guard, don't follow your heart, guard your heart. The Bible says to guard your heart because the Bible knows this, God's word says don't follow your heart because our hearts have a propensity, a tendency towards sin, towards selfishness, towards selfishness, towards wickedness. And if you follow your heart, it will lead you down a path of destruction. You don't follow your heart, you guard your heart. You see people who, who follow their heart and they just believe, you know what, I just got to follow my heart. You know what they believe? They believe love is a feeling. And please hear me, love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. It's not a feeling. Love is not, I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. I don't care what you feel. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. L let me prove it to you in the Bible. Jesus said this, love your enemies. I don't want to love my enemies. I want to punch them right in the teeth. You know what I'm saying? I want to love my enemies. No, you don't follow your heart. You, you, uh, you surrender your life, submit your life to the standard of God's word. And God's word says no matter how you feel, you love your enemy. You love them. It's not about how you feel. It's about your heart. It's about submitting your life to the word. 
God said to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Notice it does not say, husband, feel love for your wife. Is that what it says? No matter how you feel. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. That is the commandment. That's what you line your life to, to is, is the standard of the word of God. It don't matter if she's on your nerves. It don't matter if she's aggravating you. It don't matter what she said. It don't matter if you look up in the morning and look at her and you don't even recognize her. It's the Bible says you love your wife. No matter how you feel. Love is a commitment, not a feeling. And when you have... This covenant love, unconditional love. You love during good times and bad times. You love during the thick and the thin. Because unconditional love, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Number seven is this. Number seven, we're talking about friends. The letter S, the letter S on friends. We've got to maintain a close friendship to have a thriving marriage. The letter S is sanctifying sanctifying. I pulled out a church word on you right there. If you're new to church, new to God, that word simply means that God is changing us, making us holy, making us into the image of Christ. When we gave our heart to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us and he's sanctifying us. He's changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And please understand this. The first priority of marriage is to make you holy and not happy. It is a myth that, th that says the sole purpose of marriage is to make me happy. And people think this, God just wants me happy. And I'm not happy right now. I'm telling you, I am not happy with you. I, I just can't stay in this marriage. I'm not happy. But, but, but listen, listen, listen. Happiness is not the first priority of marriage. Holiness is. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, well how did... Christ loved the church. What, what was the, the product of him? What was the byproduct of him loving the church? Well, well the Bible tells us. It tells us what, what loving, what, what Christ's love looked like and how a husband's love, the love that should be in a marriage relationship. It said, listen, Christ, he gave up his life for her, the church. Why? Why did he do that? To make her holy and clean. Notice it doesn't say to make her happy. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you happy. He died on the cross to make you holy, to make you right with God. He says, listen, you, he gave up his life up for her. Why? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word and in a marriage relationship. That is the standard in the marriage relationship. You love one another. Husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And listen, when you have that kind of love in a marriage relationship, it'll make you holy. Listen, the ultimate goal of marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. And listen, if you try to operate your marriage and you live by this principle, I'm in this marriage because I want to be happy, well, you get ready to be unhappy. Because listen, marriage is not about you. It's not all about you. The ultimate goal of marriage, the ultimate goal of family is, listen, is not to bring you glory, it's to bring God glory. It's to bring him glory. It's that your marriage would bring God glory. And if you try to live it for you, you're going to mess it up. If you try to live to make you happy, you're going to be unhappy. The only way that you can be happy is that you get holy. And if you get holy, you'll be happy. But if you operate like a lot of marriages, you better make me happy. You better make me happy. You better do what I want. Make me happy. Make me happy. You're going to miss out. Because a happy marriage is a holy marriage. Well, the husband surrenders to Christ. He says, I die to myself. 
I died of what I want. Change me, Jesus. Make me like you. It's where the wife says, Jesus, I died of myself. I died of my desires. I died of what I want. Make me like you. Come on. I mean, no marriage will make you holy. Huh? Or make you lose your mind. Amen. You better get holy. I thank God for my wife, Tiffany. She's made me holy. God has used our marriage to make me holy. And God has used our marriage to make Tiffany holy. And today I can tell you that we are happy. But happiness didn't come by pursuing happiness. Happiness came by pursuing holiness. And realizing that we're in this marriage. Because God wants to make us holy. And he wants to get glory out of this marriage. And then you experience happiness that only comes from Christ. Listen, you got to work on your friendship. you got to work on your marriage. If you work on your marriage, work on your friendship, it's a beautiful thing. But the day you stop working on your marriage is the day you start working on your divorce.